Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Colorado has a story to tell. From Glenn Miller to Diane Reeves, from the astronauts to the Lumineers, the Colorado Music Experience collects and preserves the legacy of Colorado's rich music history, serving as a resource for audio, visual, informational, and archival materials. Your host is G. Brown. Our guest is Mary Lynn Gillespie a member of the beloved jazz vocal group Rare Silk. Based in Boulder, Rare Silk emerged in the early 80s with a contemporary harmonic sound and marvelous imaginative arrangements and received a couple of Grammy nominations. Welcome, Mary Lynn. Thank you, G. What brought you to Colorado? I was looking for a little change, and I was in Northern California at the time. I hadn't really done much music at that point, just a teeny bit of singing. And I had a friend who said, why don't you come on out to Colorado? So I literally got on a train, the Zephyr, and headed my way out here. Kind of a little bit of culture shock coming into Denver, because I was living in a little mountain town in California. And ended up in Boulder pretty quickly. My sister followed me out here. I kind of pushed her off at first, because Gail, being my older sister, by a full year and a half, <laughs> looking up to her it was like my shadow almost and I wanted a little clean break mm-hmm. so Gail's like I want to come out there I was like hold on Gail I don't know about that I need some time for myself to become who I am but I gave her about a month within a month it's like okay <laughs> sounds like you had a full life before you even got out here well I was not even 30 yet so yeah a lot of interesting experiences I always feel bad for my parents with kids growing up in the late 60s with mini skirts and whatever else. Oh, I ended up going to Hawaii for a year and kind of disappeared. And my parents almost sent somebody out to rescue me. They were worried about me. I did live in a tent on the beach for a while. So, yeah, Very a lot of interesting experiences. Obviously, music was a lure. I grew up with music in the home because my dad was a trumpet player. And I used to go to sleep with big band jazz and Frank Sinatra and Ella and that kind of a thing in the background. So I didn't even know how much that was playing a part in my musical understanding and upbringing. And then even before I came to Colorado, I became involved with these people who were a little older than me. This is pre-Hawaii. And all they listened to was straight-ahead jazz. And if I tried to turn the radio station 
to the doors and the stones and whatever I was listening to at the time at 18, 19. They would radio the LHS station. So I like to say I was kind of force-fed straight-ahead jazz, and it was a gift, absolutely. There is a difference between being a fan and being a singer, performer, entertainer. You made the leap. My sister Gail was singing at Fred's Restaurant in Boulder, and she was singing with Marguerite Juniman, who was part of this band called the Street Corner Choir, and that band was splitting up. And Marguerite says to Gail, oh, let's start something up. And really, it's as innocent as this. It's not like I made a decision to go to school and study music. It was just very much a part of me. And Gail said, oh, Mary Lincoln sing. And so we just started putting tunes together. And it was right when KGNU in Boulder was becoming a station. They had just come on air. And they wanted to have this local music access program for local musicians, bands. They would do a 15-minute show one day a week at 7.15. We didn't have to perform at 7.15, thankfully, because <laughs> no one wants to sing at 7.15 in the morning. So we would pre-record it with a lot of laughing. We had to have three new songs a week. So we were doing very early Andrew Sisters, Boswell Sisters, that kind of a thing. So you met someone who sent you back on your heels. Goody, goody, so you met someone and now you know how it feels. Goody, goody, so you gave her your heart too, just as I gave mine to you. And she broke it in little pieces, now how do you do? And we started performing out in Boulder shortly after we started doing this show wearing our vintage clothing with the flowers in our hair. It was very cute. We kind of became Boulder's darlings. Where did you shop? The Ritz in Boulder. Golden Oldies on Broadway. We even did a commercial for them. Golden Oldies on Broadway. I'm singing my harmony. That's not the melody. You developed quite a little following in all the little area clubs. You got your break in 1980 when Benny Goodman, the jazz clarinetist and big band leader, the king of swing, Yep opening for him at Mackey Auditorium in Boulder. He led one of the most popular swing big bands in America. His performance at Carnegie Hall in 1938 was considered the most significant concert in jazz history back in the day. Jazz's coming out party, if you will, it became acceptable music instead mm -hmm. of that of Bohemians. His band started the careers of many musicians. He saw you and fell in love with Rare Silk. He did. We knew that Benny was coming to Mackey. I literally said, Rare Silk should open for Benny Goodman. So I called the program council, and I said, Rare Silk should open for Benny Goodman. And they said, oh, that's a really good idea. So we did. We were doing a sound check, and he apparently heard us and asked somebody to pull him up a chair because he was intrigued. I know it reminded him of old days gone by. So we did that gig. Within weeks, I came home one day to my answering machine, and there's Benny Goodman on my answering machine. Would you girls like to come do a gig at Carnegie Hall? Or, excuse me, perform at Carnegie Hall. I don't think he said gig. I think you're right. <laughs> Probably I think you're not. Right. You not only performed at Carnegie Hall, the Boston Globe Jazz Festival. Broadcast. That was our first, actually. It was broadcast on PBS. He flew us out there. We had all our charts. And we thought we were going to do maybe three tunes. 
and we're on stage in Boston, recorded live, and then he goes, well, you got any more? <laughs> <laughs> and then Carnegie Hall. Yes. The 1980 Playboy Jazz Festival at yeah. the Hollywood Bowl. Yes. The Oryx Jazz Festival in Japan. The world was a lot bigger back then. Yeah. The Jazz Festival in Japan was four different jazz groups. That's where we met Dizzy Gillespie, and he teased us about our name, of course, because we don't spell it right. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> pronounce the same, spelled yes. incorrectly. <laughs> Mr. Goodman wanted you to sing standards, and you ladies were a little creatively restless. When we started singing with him, we sang as we always did, where we're all hand-holding a mic. And he had this vision of us singing into one mic like the old days. And we really didn't want to do that. It just felt less of who we were. It wasn't just that, but yes, it was partially that he wanted to keep us in this oldies kind of place, and we really wanted to expand our harmonic and musical horizons. Enter Todd Bufa, a male vocalist who began modernizing your approach. He was going to school at UNC Greeley, and Marguerite used to go up and hear him and sit in with him, and she brought him in. And when we started doing four-part harmony, everything changed. That was a big left turn. <laughs> into what I consider the music that I really love from what we did. At the time, Manhattan Transfer was the leading jazz vocal group. They had the standard lineup, two men, two women. They right. stacked their voices in typical intervals. Exactly. But you didn't come from tradition. That's right. We did do a lot of hanging around the piano and choosing notes together. It wasn't all just written down in four-part harmony. And that's one of the reasons, in my opinion, we don't sound like other four-part harmony vocal groups. It's the way the notes are arranged, and we sound more like piano voicings, and it's not as homogenous a sound. It has a little more edge to it. Todd and Marguerite were more versed in music theory, and Gail and I were not. We're more street sense, if you will. I've always said that if I had to choose between one or the other, I would choose street sense. But my preference ultimately would be to have both. Because if you're just technically trained and you don't have the street sense, eh, it's gonna lose something. So I think it was that combination, first and foremost, yes, three women and a man, although Marguerite has a beautiful, rich, deep voice. And had it not been for that, it might have been hard to pull it off. The combination brought together this harmonic blend that was not the same as all the other vocal groups. And to this day, when I listen to other vocal groups, and I'm not saying anything bad about them, they're beautiful. But there's a certain homogeny that I want. Magic. Yeah, magic is good. <laughs> <laughs> I used to visit all the very gay places 
Those come what may places Where one relaxes on the axis of the wheel of life To get the feel of life From jazz The other side of the bay was a vinyl record that was given out free to attendees invited to a musical celebration of Oakland hosted by Frontier Airlines, who had just made that a major hub. This is 1981. The event was at the Claremont Resort, but the content was Rare Silk's vocals with backing by the Lamont Jazz Ensemble. Correct. Members of the University of Denver Jazz Band. Wow, yes, first recording. David Caffey, yeah. the director of jazz studies at DU, had some national renown as a composer, arranger, and educator. And actually, Ron Jolly, who was our pianist at the time, wrote this tune called Think of a Tune. It was beautiful, and we used to sing it live. And then we turned it into Think of a Place. Oakland, the other side of the bay, in Oakland, something like that. And we did another tune where we traded scat lines. And then they flew us out to Oakland on Frontier, of course. <laughs> Rare Silk Sound was heard by Polygram Records. You recorded New Weave, released in February of 1983, a debut album, some illustrious session players involved, Michael and Randy Brecker, backing up your vocal performances. That was yep. a major label deal. Back in the day, you could do that kind of thing. We heard about this NAJE, National Association of Jazz Educators, performance that you could go to and there would be scouts there. And it was in Kansas. Then we were doing a gig at the Hungry Farmer in Boulder and the producer who had seen us at NAJE came out to the Hungry Farmer to see if they really, really thought we were worthwhile. New Weave made its way into the top 10 on most of the respectable Billboard. jazz charts. Downbeat and Jazz Times as well. Yep. You were number one on KKGO, the premier oh. jazz station in Los Angeles. Jazz airplay was monitored a little differently than the top 40. Ideally, stations just played what they wanted. It wasn't like there was right. a single, an emphasis track. But New York Afternoon yes. was the opening track, and it was the one that got the most exposure for I'd you. I'd say so. To the tell? point that we got sick of singing it. Yes. <laughs> tell, me, <laughs> tell me more. Never want to sing New York Afternoon ever again. <laughs> it was given to us by Richie Cole, who wrote the tune. And he actually had asked the Manhattan Transfer to do it. And they didn't want to do it. So he gave it to us. It was a big one for us. Marguerite wanted to pursue more traditional mm -hmm. jazz styles and was replaced by Barbara Reeves. Yes. After New Weave was released, and we went to New Orleans to do a broadcast performance live at Duke's Place. And that was Marguerite's last gig. Rare Silk was nominated for a couple of Grammy Awards at the 26th Annual Ceremony in 1984. 
even Colorado's most popular bands haven't been recognized by the Grammys. That's rarefied air. It was a prestigious event. It is also, like all industry awards, an ostentatious event, sure. a political yeah. event. Oh, political. Hmm. <laughs> you played a good luck gig at the Olympic in Boulder oh. before you took off. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. There were articles being written about us. One of them was on their way to stardom, stuff like that. (laughs) And you got to experience all the hype and glamour at the event. Being like 10 rows behind Michael Jackson, going up to collect his awards multiple (laughs) times. And Herbie Hancock doing an incredible show. So you arrive at the Shrine Auditorium. Yep. In a limo. Sure. Yes. Uniform doorman, a screaming crowd. No, honey. No? Okay. There's no screaming crowd. This isn't rock and roll here. Well, <laughs> the point is that your categories fell in the pre-telecast oh, yeah. part of, course. of the program. I don't think people realize that in the categories from gospel to Latin pop, those are all done in the afternoon yes. before the cameras roll. Your part of the ceremony started at 3.15 in the afternoon. But we were hyped up on energy and excitement, even so. It's very quiet and sort of subdued for that early untelecast event. You're sitting there waiting and hoping you might hear your name. And we didn't. <laughs> well, no, yeah, so I wouldn't call it a letdown. I mean, maybe it is. And nor did we necessarily expect that we would win especially against the Manhattan Transfer, because they were a known group. And they had an incredible album out at the same time. So You're right. They deserve it. Absolutely. But they also had won it before. I know. And the way that Come the on. Grammy voting goes. No one knew who people, we were. Exactly. So they're going to just tick the box of brand recognition, if you will. Absolutely. So yeah. Manhattan Transfer picked up the Grammy in the jazz, vocal, duo, or group category. Correct. Todd was nominated for arranging the song Red Clay. Arif Mardan, the fantastic producer, and Chaka Khan won in that category for arrangement, two or more voices. Well, I'm sure they deserve that. I mean, it's Chaka Khan, come on. Well, it's Arif Mardan. (laughs) And Arif Mardan. Come on. Um, (laughs) We're just lucky to be there. (laughs) We were just riding in this incredible roller coaster. Incredulous. We were young and just going along with the flow and being very excited about being part of the entity that we wanted to be a part of. Spain, Chick Corea tune. Yeah, Lush Life, Spain. Those are all heavy hitter songs to take on. And we were very much 
wanting to express what we were feeling and what type of music we wanted to do. And those songs were really difficult to put together vocally. That's like rehearsing every day to put that kind of stuff together. So we just chose tunes that were really challenging and would feature our abilities and what we love to do. You were booked for two weeks at Caesars Palace in uh, Las Vegas. Yeah. We did better at big jazz festivals with adoring crowds. We really weren't a Vegas kind of band because of our edge, because we like to explore improvisation more than just be this cookie cutter, perfect thing. So those gigs weren't really our best venue. You're competing with the prime rib buffet. Exactly. That. It's kind of like a super <laughs> lobster gig. I'll tell you what a lobster gig is, because we coined this. Like doing a convention in one of those hotels where people are eating their lobster and drinking. And, <laughs> and then they're not listening, okay? They're not listening to the music. They could care less. And we call it the super lob. So... Vegas is the supreme lobster gig. So we didn't really enjoy those. You were managed by Scott Roche and Patrick Colley. We call him Spin and Marty. <laughs> From the old Mickey Mouse Club. Personally, two of the finest guys that I encountered, Scott particularly, who we lost a couple of years ago. They had a vision, and we brought them in when we got the record deal. We need management, because we didn't know what we were doing. And Scotty had his recording studio, Coop Studios. At the time, I don't even think he was on Pearl Street yet. It was still the chicken coop. It was coop. still the chicken coop. Patrick had experience from touring with the Rolling Stones and Joe Walsh, and he had great touring experience. And Scotty had more refined, just keep it here and keep us on track experience and financial experience. So between the two of them, it was a great team for us. thing is that Polydor, Polygram, they didn't really have a jazz department. I have no idea why they signed us, and neither did they. Because we did that record, did all our promotion for it, it got all this radio play, and people were astounded, actually, to be perfectly honest, because it's like, where these people come from? It was good. Yeah. <laughs> and within a year, we were nominated for two Grammys for that record, and then they dropped us. And they didn't want a photo of us on the cover. Rare Silk recorded an album for the Palo Alto label, American two. Eyes, made with the rhythm section, Kip Kipper on bass, notably. You had a writing credit on the track Storm, a Stanley yes. Turrentine song. Mm -hmm. I found my way to writing lyrics, and I have no idea how that happens. 
okay? I remember riding Storm, sitting underneath this porch with a pad of paper. I had a desire, and to this day, I don't know if and when or how it's going to happen, but it apparently does. Wind is high and stormy tonight. We can feel its magical light. As the sea comes speaking to me, siren voices drift out of key. Wind and sea mix thoughts in my brain. Never know if love will remain. Barbara Reeves was replaced. Yeah, Barbara did our second album, American Eyes, with us. She was doing Boulder Dinner Theater before she joined us. And she actually came in at the same time that Kip, Kipper came in to our entourage. And they ended up being married. Anyway, she decided to move on. And we did bring on Jamie Bromus. Started auditioning a bunch of different vocalists from all over the place. And Jamie was from D.C. Great singer. And she joined us for a while. We did some touring with her, but she didn't last very long because she just really enjoyed her solo career more. It's hard to bring on a fourth member to a group of three people who have been together for so long and all the history and the histrionics of how you hang out together. So I think it's a big ask to come into that kind of a group and be strong. So at that point, we just decided to be three. Black and Blue. Yeah. A the third weird record. Album. <laughs> the Weird Album. Yeah. It's just kind of quirky. It was a little bit of Todd's ego spreading out. Yeah. Kind of an odd album. <laughs> Regardless, some incredible talent involved at this point. Eric Gunnison contributed on keyboards. Yep. He is a gem. Engineered by a guy named Kevin Clock. Oh, Kevin. Colorado Sound Studios. Yes. Jim Mason. <laughs> Jim Mason. The record. Tim Banco took the cover photo. Another co-write for you on Zenobian Love Song. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hi. Well, Zenobia is a girl's name having to do with Zeus, I believe. You know, that's a nickname of mine. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> I think it was a nickname Todd gave me, Zenobia. And so I named my publishing company Zenobia Music with an X. And the X... Because my name, Mary Lynn, has been misquoted so many times and misused. I become Mary Sue, Mary Jane, Mary Elizabeth, Mary fill-in-the-blank X. So I've been Mary X for many years. (laughs) And I request for people, if they're going to reduce my name to initials, being Mary Lynn, it has to be MX. It's not ML. Okay? Just so you know. Two brothers and sisters everywhere. Regardless of straight or curly hair The feathers and footprints in our hands Are songs made of fur and woven sand And the band turns into Road Warriors. You toured oh, yeah. a lot. We were about two years straight. We sublet our apartment because <laughs> we weren't there enough. We had a van with a trailer. For a while, we had two vans, 
And then we got a big Ram van. And so we had like nine people in a van, the trailer. The mixture of material at that point was so diverse. You're driving around the country. You've got your Walkman knockoffs on and mm -hmm. your headphones and you're That's listening. That's exactly right. We used to incorporate, boy, George, I'll tumble for you. That's just an example. In our improvisations, we would be doing, kind of get into this whole groove thing and scat. Somehow we'd get into this thing and we'd start going, I'll tumble for you. And then the whole band would just start going along with us. So that music definitely got integrated into our music. Some Bowie stuff, Let's Dance, Lionel Richie's All Night Long. That was a big one. Absolutely Talking Heads. I wanted to be Tina Weymouth. We had a bass player for a while, Peter Huffaker. He was really good at bringing unusual music to our ears. And he'd have these mixtapes of all kinds of weird stuff. Meredith Monk and the Bulgarian Women's Choir. I can't even remember what else. But he would bring a lot of really cool music to us. I thank Peter for that forever. Rare Silk had a wonderful run, but by 1988, mm -hmm. you had disbanded. It was all fame, no fortune kind of a thing. A lot of that. I have incredibly wonderful memories of all of it. I loved it. But yeah, it became a struggle. Mm -hmm. I did not sing for 25 years. After Rare Silk split up, first I worked at a car dealership for a couple of years. And I waitressed. And then I went to photo school to CIA, Colorado Institute of Art. And I got married raise kids, and during all that time, I did not sing at all for 25 years. Nothing. I wasn't involved in the music scene. I didn't have the confidence to be a solo singer. I had people telling me, oh, Marilyn, you should sing, blah, blah, blah. And I, these were my words. It's never going to happen. That's what I believed. After divorce. It's like the great release, a great opening. <laughs> New life. And so after divorce, I just started going, hmm, little thoughts about maybe singing. And I would get together with people here and there. And then I started sitting in a little bit. It was a big challenge for me to get back into singing. I never was a solo singer with Rare Silk. I did a few solos here and there. Not a lot, not as much as the other three. And I didn't really know that about myself, that I could carry that. So I just slipped in, a little ways in, and I went, oh, well, maybe I can do this. Then I had a friend who said, just get the gig. Just get the gig. And it's like, okay. So then I got a gig and I was petrified. <laughs> It was the Mercury Cafe in Denver, 2011 or 12, something like that. I hired this huge band, and it was incredible. It was great, but that was kind of the beginning, and I just started doing more and more and became very comfortable on stage again as a solo singer with a band. And I would just hire the best musicians. That's what you do. Just Art. hire the best. That, do good work. <laughs> 
happy ending. Yeah. And you got back into performing and eventually back into recording your opus. Secret language. It is from a set of lyrics that I wrote. Dolphin Dance is a Herbie Hancock tune. And I wrote lyrics and that one came out like it was no effort at all. I can't explain it. I kept trying to come up with a title and that just spoke to me. Kip Kipper is now the lead composer at Coop Studios. I've always said I wanted to do what I call a real CD with this fully produced. And so it's just taken me this long to finally ask Kip to be my producer and collaborator. His name is on the cover with mine because I value his collaboration so much. It wouldn't happen on just my own. He's paramount in this. It's and then I hired the Gonzalo Tepa Quintet. I call it that. It's really not. I wanted these guys. So it's Gonzalo, Alex Heffron, Andy Wheelock on drums, Ike Spivak on horn, Greg Harris on vibes. And then we added piano and Jim Riddle, who used to play with Rare Silk back in the day, but has since moved to New York years and years ago. And Kip and Jim have a really strong working relationship. So we had Jim add piano parts, Gabe Mervine on trumpet, Doug Roche does some piano, Mitch tomorrow <laughs> does a solo. So, yeah, surrounded by the best. Yeah. I'm feeling very lucky that I've been able to do this. What's your favorite musician's joke, Mary Lynn? We're on the road. We're at a funky club in Indianapolis. This is rare silk time. And it's time to get paid. So we go up to the owner's office, and we're sitting there at the table. And he's kind of acting like, you know, what should we pay him kind of a thing. And I look down. He's got this pistol on the table. It's sitting right there. I'm, 
And he's kind of getting funny about the money. And I look over at Todd and I go, hey, honey, that looks just like yours. (laughs) 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 Yay. The Colorado Music Experience is a nonprofit educational and cultural organization relying on financial support from music enthusiasts to fund its initiatives. To learn more, please visit colomusic.org. C-O-L-O music.org. Terrapin Care Station is a Boulder-based, vertically integrated, consumer-focused cultivator, processor, and provider of high-quality medical and recreational cannabis products. Terrapin loves music and is proud to partner with Colorado Music Experience to educate the public on everything great about our state's music history. It adds significant cultural value across Colorado, solidifying our state's position as a leader. Follow Terrapin on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit terrapincarestation.com.